the importance of creating a culture and reality of equal opportunity and equal participation at the Law Library is one that benefits practitioner, colleague, client and community. The work of the Equality and Resilience Committee, the Equitable Briefing Initiative and the Balance at the Bar Report are to name just a few constructive examples of how the Bar is supporting that goal. That Balance at the Bar Report, published in late 2019, provides a fantastic insight into issues of practice, dignity at work, mental health and related matters. Two interesting elements come to the fore. One, that the culture of collegiality, collaboration and cooperation continued to be regarded as one of the most valuable aspects of membership of the Law Library. And secondly, there is a cohort, predominantly younger and more likely to be female, who hold back from requesting support. By contrast, those who have practised for longer are much more comfortable about the idea of asking a colleague for help. Entered the Bar of Ireland's Law and Women Mentoring Programme, which cuts across these two issues an example of collegiality at the bar, as well as seeking to support and to develop an important section of the bar, both in size and contribution. Established in 2016, and going from strength to strength since, the programme recognises the benefit of guidance and wisdom from colleagues who have similarly travelled the road. These programmes are so important as they not only directly support the practitioner, but as mentioned, they indirectly provide a dividend for the profession, clients and the wider community. I caught up with Sarah Phelan, Senior Counsel, and Hannah Kearney to get a better understanding of the programme. Sarah is the Chair of the Law and Women Mentoring Committee who oversee the programme, but has also been both mentee and a mentor on that programme. Thanks Cormac. Um, I was called to the bar in 96, having had a previous career as a pharmacist and 1997, I, so I devilled in Dublin and then moved down to the southeast. I'm from Kilkenny originally, and I pretty much stayed in the southeastern circuit up until 2013 when I took silk. And then again moved, I think, lock, stock and barrel pretty much. Not my house, obviously, but just my practice right up to Dublin. And although I still have some circuit court work primarily in the area of crime, most of my work at this stage since taking silk is in Dublin. So I have a career of two halves if you want to exclude the pharmacy bit to begin with. And that's where I'm at at the moment. I have a broad um, civil and criminal practice, uh, personal injury law, family law, crime, judicial review, a little bit of chancery, a little bit of mental health. So that's, I think it's it's a mixed bag really. Next up is Hannah Kearney. Hannah is programme designer and facilitator and has been instrumental in bringing the programme to where it is today. Yes, well, thank you. And thanks, Cormac, and thanks, Sarah. In fact, if I look at my career, as Sarah just has so beautifully, my career, in fact, started in a a different place to where it is now, and that actually was the practice of law. Um, And I have transitioned now into the work that I now do. But to come from from the place where I trained and qualified here in Dublin, uh, at two years qualified, I went... Australia actually requalified and practiced there, coming back to Dublin um, in 1998, joining McCann Fitzgerald actually as a, a litigator, commercial litigator, dispute resolution. Uh, and then it was within the practice, uh, having taken on the role of director of professional development, transitioning from law into the area that I now work, 
looking looking after, as I say, the the education development and um, strategic initiatives around talent development. Um, we looked again at coaching, facilitation, and that's the work that I now do as an independent consultant. Sarah, I'm going to turn to you first to be provocative. Surely we're opposed to gender specific programmes. Why do we actually need a programme like this in 2021? Cormac, I would love to be able to say we don't need a programme like this in 2021. Yes, I suppose to a certain extent we are post gender specific, but the law library and the practice at the bar is, I want to use the word peculiar, but I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's a very particular type of job. And I think historically, and indeed still, women, certainly from surveys done and, and, and from talking to other women, they feel a particular need for support in their, in their practice. I'm not saying the men at the bar don't need a similar support, but I do think women need, at the moment, a more gender-specific support, be that because of the progression in their career, that they, they need advice in relation to that, be that because maybe they are thinking of leaving the bar because it doesn't provide the stability that they need, or be that because they don't see the support there at the bar for them as, as women, and not everybody, obviously, but also as, as mothers. So I would love to say we don't need it, but I still think we do. I'd love that we would in this programme, we would make ourselves redundant, be that in, in five years, 10 years, the, the, the sooner the better. But at the moment, it's certainly still there and the need is there. And then maybe just to delve into the nuts and bolts of the programme, what are the practical supports for the individual, for the female practitioner who comes who comes to the programme? I think first and foremost, the support is having a, a, a more elder, and by that I mean senior, practitioner to to help them talk through the, the the issues that they are experiencing at that particular point in time in their career so we have as mentees we have very junior members as mentees in their first second third year maybe not their first year but certainly second or third year we have more senior juniors as mentees and we've seniors as mentees so depending upon where a woman is at in her career at the bar obviously her, her needs and the supports she requires are somewhat different. Um, looking at a, a, a recent entrant, perhaps their issues are, where am I going to get the work? Where am I going to get the money? The fees aren't coming in. Then as life moves on, somebody who's in maybe 10 or 12 years might be thinking of taking silk and might want some support and guidance around that. Throughout the entirety, there may be supports required in terms of skills, such as perhaps somebody thinks their advocacy skills aren't as good as they should be, or their way of approaching work isn't as good as it should be. Or, and I think this is a general view, is, is the, the whole life balance perspective where work seems to take over. And I think that's a problem when you're self-employed. Obviously, there's no, there's no start time, there's no end time. And I think a lot of people find that the work-life balance simply completely tilts over into work with no play and no life and no family time. And I think a lot of mentees require guidance or assistance in relation to that. 
And just before I turn to to um, Hannah on the I mean, the background of mentoring, are things like childcare, are things like accessing a network, are things like as you say fees, they're quite they're quite pronounced issues for women in particular, or are they not pronounced for individuals regardless of their sex? I think some of them are regardless of gender certainly accessing work, although there was a survey done, Cormac, you might remember back in 2016 um, of women at the bar, and certainly accessibility to certain areas of work um, was very clear from that survey that there was an issue for women more than men, such as access to commercial work, access to the chancery, and it is, I suppose, and there's a, an unfairness perhaps that that is more male specific rather than being more equal in terms of the distribution of work. So that certainly was one area, access to certain types of work. I, I think fee income is, is an issue no matter whether you're male or female. Um, one other area that seems to be more important from a female's perspective are the supports around maternity, childbearing, and in the early years thereafter. And I know the bar has done a lot in terms of changing the maternity rate and maternity leave policies or policy. So that certainly has been very helpful. But still, women seem to feel the, 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 the need that they're, they're on their own in this. There is no corporate support. There is no fixed maternity leave, be it three months or six months or 12 months. And the need that, or at least the, the the inherent, I suppose, concern that if they don't come back to work in a very short period of time, having had a child, is their work going to be there? And there aren't any safeguards in relation to that. And that is one of the it's one of the issues, I suppose, with being self-employed. And that's not necessarily peculiar to the bar, although a lot of females in the bar would see that as a huge, a huge issue in terms of the retention of work, having decided to have a family and what the perception is going to be both from solicitors and clients in terms of giving them work thereafter. It's, it's almost, a, it's almost a, a variation of presenteeism. You have to be present, you have to be active yes. um, in order to be, to be relevant in some ways. And that, 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 that could be a cruel, a cruel dynamic when we have the rest of our full lives to live. Um, Hannah, mentorship, is it corporate? Has it origins in corporate culture? Has it origins in, 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 the, in the military? Or, or is it, is it, I suppose, is it a looser, is it a looser concept? Where, where, do, where did mentorship as a, as a concept grow from? Well, if, if you look back, actually, Cormac, at its very roots, uh, you'll find it right back in uh, the Homeric legend of the Trojan War, when uh, Ulysses um, again uh, left and entrusted his son, in fact, to uh, his friend mentor and his wife also and uh, charged mentor with, I suppose, the holistic upbringing, the passing on of wisdom. In fact, the experience and learnings uh, as, as the, the, the sun developed. Um, and in fact, if we, if we look at that, at its essence, mentoring is about creating a, th a thinking partnership, a conversation partnership, and creating a dedicated space to pass on uh, experience and learnings. Uh, it's two perspectives, 
Um, and in fact, in education is probably where mentoring started. First, again, passing on the standards of excellence, passing on the learnings, passing on, you know, uh, different perspectives, different ways of approaching things, different ways of thinking about both professional um, and and in in medicine, clinical, uh, in the military, strategic, and of course strategic at every level. So, um, but but creating that thinking partnership and passing on wisdom um, is at the core and essence of what mentorship is about. And I suppose the bar is it's a learning. It has a strong learning culture. You, know, you learn from your peer. You learn from from those who you observe. And where, where would you put mentorship then alongside, say, sponsorship, or if you want to put it beside coaching, how does it differ? How do I, where is it relative to those? So again, um, and and again, if you think about sponsorship as a very active process um, of, you know, putting someone forward, presenting them for opportunities, mentoring is, um, again, back to the essence, creating the space to think together perhaps with introduction, but passing on the learnings from experience. The difference with coaching is that coaching is fundamentally about allowing the participant or the coachee come up with their, their own solutions and not passing on a suggestive or um, introductory, which mentoring does allow. But it, it's fundamentally that two different perspectives with actually equality. They might be at different stages, but each... Each does their own thinking with the mentee really thinking in terms of their situation, their priorities, their challenges, and the mentor adding, having listened, adding their thinking, adding their wisdom. So is it an intense one, to, not intense, but is it a one-to-one dynamic or is there a group learning um, kind of? Yeah, in, uh, in within this program, in fact, and mentoring is is generally speaking uh, a one-to-one experience um, and we call it sometimes a thinking partnership and in, in at the mentoring program at the bar, we create pairings. We create, again, uh, matchings uh, between a senior professional and a more junior professional or the other way around. We also, however, and mentoring can be experienced in group and is in the process of the bar is experiencing group and can be very uh, useful and interesting again for a range of perspectives and to hear different people think out loud or share their experience so the one-to-one um mentoring partnership shall we call it uh, within the bar program we create those partnerships and we also add two group elements over the over the um over the year experience um, and in fact, within the within the bar um, program, the mentees themselves have created group group learning, reflective learning by gathering themselves in groups um, and structuring that. This year, in fact, in a virtual context, they're calling it the virtual tea rooms. Um, but it is that sense of sharing, thinking out loud, listening to others, and then ideas and different ways of looking at things emerge. And Sarah, you you've you've had the benefit of being both sides of, of 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 the wall, being the mentee and the mentor. Maybe just to to change it up, what does the mentor get out of out of the exchange? The mentor, Cormac, in my experience, gets a huge amount out of the exchange because for me, it certainly broadened my experience in terms of getting to know people at the bar. So my mentees came from areas that I would never have known them if they had not been my mentees. I've had two mentees 
And it's funny having listened to their issues, for want of a better way of putting it, helps me reflect as well on the way I'm dealing with certain things. So sometimes there's an element of hearing yourself, um, not so much give give advice the whole time, because what I try and do with my mentees is I would listen to them. I would try and get them to come up, first of all, with solutions. But ultimately, I may end up throwing in, well, have you considered trying this or have you considered trying that? And then I can start taking my own advice on board for myself, because obviously we're we're, we're not very good at listening to ourselves at times in terms of the advice we should be dispensing to ourselves. So that's really useful. Um, and I, I, I also think it's lovely from a mentee, mentor's perspective to see how a mentee develops. So they may, you, your, your first couple of sessions, they may be quite, nervous is the wrong word, but they may be quite uncertain as to where they're going in their career. They obviously have certain things they want to talk to you about, and that's why they're part of the program. And after a few meetings, then you can actually begin to see how they develop in terms of confidence, in terms of how they are progressing and, and dealing with the issues they have. And that's that gives you a lovely sense, I suppose, of self-satisfaction, self really. So it's certainly not, absolutely not a one-way one street. I remember having a problem when I was talking to my brother and he said, we were trying to figure out the solution, but he was saying, well, what would you advise a friend? Because that's generally the advice that you should you should uh, you should go. But whether yes. you take the advice is, is something else. And is the, how it's obviously a relationship, a professional relationship. Does it extend beyond the year? Does it can it veer into issues of, of, of personal, of family life? How rigid is 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 the framework? OK, it is in essence, it's a professional relationship. But the mentee has issues that they want to discuss. And one of them I've mentioned already is, is work-life balance. So obviously, if you're discussing work-life balance, it's going to veer into the personal and out of the professional to at least a certain extent. They may have family issues they want to discuss, uh, be it caring for an elderly parent or, or caring for children. So it's not it, it's, it's not all four square within work and you can't talk about anything but work. Okay. Um, it does veer outside that. Mm -hmm. Now, each of the, I, I think it's important to say that the mentors are very much advised that if their mentee has issues that the mentor feels that he, he or she, because we have male mentors as well, if, if the mentor feels that those issues are going beyond what, they are able to deal with, well, then obviously they have to press a pause button and come back to the program and it's dealt with in another in another fashion. So it is it's it's more than professional. It goes into the personal, but if it goes, if it strays too far, I suppose, into the in, into a mental health area, let's say, well, then obviously the pause button is pressed. Yeah, I think if I may add, you know, when we think about the program, you know, it really has two core aims. Firstly, is to create that safe. Uh, thinking space for somebody to think out loud. If we if we think about it in the, as Sarah said, in the essence, the quality of everything we do will depend on the quality of the thinking we do in advance. Um, and actually, the quality of the thinking when thinking in partnership with someone who may be more experienced, 
who is listening to you, who is, and it's that really, you know, all of the neuroscience will show that actually the brain frees up to think more creatively and come up with ideas with um, the benefit of the positive and attention uh, of another like your brother Cormac in that circumstance and the second you know the second element or the second aim is to pass on learnings pass on perspectives again make suggestions it's not as Sarah said directive or advisory but it is suggestive it's opening up possibility um, in order that people can think further about possibility and you know what options or solutions might be appropriate what is really important um, and as the relationships grow and I suppose mature is that once people feel safe, uh, they may feel, look, I, there is something that I would like to discuss, which is, you know, broadly, as I say, within the professional context, but it's a, it's a family situation. We boundary and you asked about boundaries. We boundary uh, through an explicit um, formal agreement about where we have roles clarified. Uh, what is within the context of the role, what is expected of both the mentor and mentee, and um, so that we have a very, I suppose, safe, confidential, formal structure to a relationship which, again, we want to be informal in, in feeling relaxed, respectful and safe. And also we contract within the um, agreement around respect around communication and just set out the expectations very clearly for both the mentor and the mentee frankly to keep everybody safe and to be respectful of everybody's time and contribution and the program is voluntary so we're asking you know very busy people both mentor and mentee to commit time and um, so the 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 explicitness i suppose of the contracting and the safety of the boundaries are very important and then sometimes things don't just work out. What happens in, in circumstances within the, the programme when there just isn't that fit? Can someone raise a flag and say, look, I'm not getting on with my, my mentor or my mentee? What's, what's, the, what's the response then of the, of the programme to that scenario? Go ahead, Sarah, and then I'll add in. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. What we have done the last couple of years, Cormac, is once the pairing has been made and, and once the mentor and mentee have had maybe an opportunity for one or two meetings we will send around just a very simple email from the secretariat checking in that things are going well or going okay and I suppose that's a prompt then for a mentee or a mentor if something isn't quite as they want it to be it's a prompt for them to come back and say look it's not working or raise whatever the issue is okay. and then obviously whatever the issue is we deal with that we do our best none of us is perfect but the committee does its best to to match the pairs properly or appropriately mm -hmm. um i've had a call from a mentee as a mentor i should say at one stage to say that she felt that for specific circumstances she felt that the mentee she had wasn't going to be a good match. Things had changed. So we we provided another mentor for that mentee instead. So what we don't want is the pairs going off for the legal year and perhaps the relationship foundering and us not knowing about it. Whereas if people come back and tell us there's something at issue or something not quite right, well, then we can do our best to remedy it. It's not unusual that people would, you know, sometimes people just don't don't fit and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. 
yeah no and we we say that actually in the in the training and we look at you know the reasons that we and again comic you you, you identified when we started this program obviously it was a pilot um and we learned from that experience and we've continued to learn and take feedback you know as we've gone through the experience and we have learned sometimes if the if the experience is disappointing uh, what you know what are the reasons and there are often uh, as as sarah said two two fundamental reasons firstly uh, time and availability uh, and in the early uh, stages and we've become much more explicit about this is you know in terms of roles and availability and if you're not going to be available you know really think and let us know but let us know um and secondly then if the chemistry as you say isn't isn't working or if you know it's just not not finding it really valuable um, and sometimes we've just asked people to if you really think yeah I'm not sure this is really working I'm not getting value just to either look at can is that something that you can discuss you know or think about can you change the conversation or the way it's working or the whatever or secondly to um just I'm going to say exit gracefully but let people no, and that's mentor and mentee. The two, I suppose, when people have felt completely or sort of dissatisfied, would be where they just didn't know um, whether the relationship was continuing or what had happened. Everything just went silent, and that's on either side. And so we really learned. Look, if you know situations have changed, or you really feel, yeah, I'm not sure I'm getting as much value, and this isn't what I had hoped for. Just let the other person in the relationship, in the thinking parent, know. Um, and, and then, it should be said that mentors do get training. That's right. Yeah. No, both. In fact, Cormac, both uh, mentors and mentees, Sarah referenced the process is, uh, and there's a, a, a the, the committee, there's a significant now investment in the committee with putting out the call for mentors, for applicants, then a rigorous, um, because we were this year, and I think Sarah will add to this, oversubscribed. Um, so a lot of work and time is put into both looking at the applications, uh, seeing the places and matching. Uh, a lot of thought, a lot of time put in. Um, and then before people are sort of launched into their mentoring pairs of partnerships, we do facilitate a briefing training, we call it. Um, and that is both for the mentors and the mentees. So both understand you know, what's expected within the process terms, uh, the level of commitment, and also, again, the chemistry that may enable something to be successful, a relationship to be successful. One of the things mentioned by Sarah was that the programme has men or male mentors. And that, that for me is <clears throat> something that I didn't didn't anticipate. And I'm just wondering, uh, A, how does that how does that work? And is it working well? Maybe for, first to you, Sarah, but then to you, Hannah, in terms of you know that's that's obviously an an innovation. Maybe it is, but what are the what are what are the latest trends that you've noticed in the program? Because you have been with the program um, for the last number of years. But Sarah, maybe if you want to take that point about in terms of how how male mentorship is working within law and women mentoring. Mm. There are a, there's a cohort of of wonderful male mentors, Cormac, and. The, the the attribute of a male mentor is, is no different than the attribute required of a female mentor. It's experience, time, availability, generosity of spirit. You know, that those attributes are certainly not um, reserved to the female of the species. I, I also think it's really important, and this is coming back to your earlier 
provocative question of post-gender specificity. Um, it's, I think it's really important that men buy into and take part in the programme so that as the programme grows and there are more graduates, the, 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 it, it is seen that it is, I suppose, supported by men and that it's not, not just for women. The, we, we have men on the committee, um, one at the moment, but we have another one hopefully on the way. And I don't believe, now Hannah can correct me, I don't actually think we have any male mentors this year, but there have been many male mentors in the, in the past. And I know one mentor that Hannah and I love and remember dearly is, is Noel Whelan, now departed. And Noel was a wonderful contributor to the programme and had a huge generosity of experience and, and spirit. So yes, definitely male mentors are required and promoted. That said, we do the application form for the mentees does allow them an opportunity to specify whether they would like a female mentor or whether they're equivocal or as, as, as to who they would have. And this year, certainly that, that somewhat informed our views in terms of allocating female mentors to the mentees. There's also the amount of time the committee gave to pairing or matching mentors and mentees is, is it's a huge time commitment. And that is because we strive to get the best match possible. And it depends on practice areas, it depends on geographical areas, it depends on what the mentee is looking for. And the mentee in her application form has to state what she hopes to get from the programme. And then the mentor in his or her expression of interest, we call it, can, can detail what they can give to the programme. And both of those forms are used in the matching and then obviously those of us on the committee who know the various individuals, the, 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 there's a certain element of that as well goes into the matching. And Hannah, in terms of in terms of recent years, have there been any trends that you've noticed in terms of applicants and mentor mentors, um, just in terms of the, the, the motivations for coming to the programme or the nature of, of the challenges that the people are looking for assistance on? In terms of the... Um, to be honest, Cormac, I think the, the one thing that's been very striking um, actually are the number of mentors who return. Um, and that has been that has been striking. And I think I would echo what uh, Sarah just referred to in terms of, you know, um, the benefit actually of both the male and female perspective. This programme is, is, you know, about gender parity, not not being exclusive in any way, but being inclusive. And actually that whole, again, male perspective or not even male, but different perspective uh, approach to things, ways of thinking, experience, wisdom and passing passing that on. Um, it is is again crucial. It's crucial to the program, and it's it's so generative actually in terms of the themes that present. As as Sarah mentioned, they are all the themes that come up at different stages within careers, um, and I think the themes have stayed consistent: career progression, uh, work, thinking about best moves strategically, or how do I go about. Um, ideas, looking for ideas, looking for different approaches, getting work, and um, again, 
managing, dealing with difficult scenarios, be it client, be it solicitor, be it uh, intern. It's practicing when, when Sarah said, which really strikes me always, you know, um, barristers are, they're self-employed. So it is all the benefits. And, and in business, we see a lot of business mentoring and often, you know, self-employed people benefit so much from others in different contexts or in di with different experience who have just walked the road. Um, but it is... It can, it can be a lonely road. That's and it. Essentially, I, I imagine from a mentoring relationship is looking for guidance and maybe just inspiration as well, just in terms of keeping you on that road. That's right. And I think, you know, the whole uh, good practice, particularly at the bar, good practice standards of excellence. Um, there may be, you know, a particularly difficult situation that you just really will want or need to talk through. And that could be, you know, in terms of ethics or in terms of approach. Um, so, you know, all of that passing on of, I'm going to say the subliminal wisdom, um, but, you know, the integrity actually and the role modelling is huge. And again, male, female, um, but it's the role modelling of, you know, good practice and also um, good professional collegiality. Uh, and in this context, you know, in this programme, frankly, it's, it's women and men uh, looking after women. And um, but mentoring is is not exclusive in any way. It is about, you know, enabling the talent of the future. And that word collegiality, Sarah. Say I'm not the chosen few, one of the chosen few who got the golden ticket to be on the programme. And I, I would I know and I want I'm at a stage in my career that I just need that guidance. Ha, have you any advice for practitioners in terms of how to identify a mentor? to go about maybe approaching that person in, in a realistic way and maybe just setting the right tone at the very beginning? I think, Cormac, those of us who are more senior at the bar do, uh, I think at least some of us would do a level of informal mentoring anyway. So let's say we have somebody more junior and, and they're looking for, as you say, they haven't been successful on the programme, they want somebody to, to mentor them. First, you that person needs to identify a, a, a suitable or, or an appropriate mentor. So be that somebody they admire because of the, the, the work they do or they're approaching court or maybe they have been with them or against them in a case and they really liked the way they dealt with a client or something like that. Then I would advise the junior colleague to take a try and ascertain the character of the person they think they might approach to be an informal mentor, because obviously different people have, have differing degrees of openness or, or warm spiritedness or approachability. And then you could, the junior colleague could perhaps talk to maybe some devils that that senior colleague has had, make their own informal inquiries, and obviously then put themselves in the way, um, not in a not in a nuisance way, of that colleague as well. I either, you know, and there's nothing to stop now, obviously with COVID at the moment, there's everything to stop, but generally speaking, there's nothing to stop you from sitting down in the tea rooms with a more senior colleague. And the whole, I suppose the whole idea of the tea rooms is, is, is that everybody in there should be available to chat to anybody who comes in and sits down at the table. And that goes back to the collegiality of the bar. I, I, I think it's probably 
it's more difficult in many respects to to be very collegiate when you have an increasing number of members because people don't know people. It was probably or possibly more easier to be collegiate when the numbers were smaller, where there weren't offices, where people were all in the same place the whole time, rather than now being in the CCJ down in the forecourts, distillery, Church Street, Capel Street. I mean, you name it. We're a, we're a more disparate bar now than we were when I came in 25 odd years ago. And that was even disparate, obviously, than, than, than the previous 25 years. But collegiality is what it's all about. And I think most senior members are very, very happy to help a more junior member along his or her way, actually, because obviously informal mentoring can be can, can be for the male um, barrister as well as the female barrister. I think most practitioners would 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 welcome the approach, not not see it as a competitive approach, but rather a collaborative and an opportunity to, to pass on and to share and it, an act of generosity at, at, at its very core. Absolutely. Yeah. Hannah. Mm. Mentoring in a time of COVID. It sounds like an amazing book. <laughs> Mentoring in a time of COVID. Um, well, uh, again, to, to honour the process and to honour the programme, um, when we had to pivot, which is a word that has been used a lot, into the virtual environment, um, I'm not going to pretend to you that it didn't uh, create... Uh, the necessity to to think about it very carefully. But in fact, I think our experience, and Sarah might echo this, is that, um, again, very possible. And in fact, even in the virtual context, when people are feeling, as we all are feeling, inverted commas, separated, um, that it has given a point of connection. And we were able to, again, get the programme going. Uh, We ran all the training virtually, a wonderful experience of learning all round. Um, But we we facilitated it as interactively as possible and and again got started. Um, And in fact, one of the learnings has been something I referred to earlier, which was was Helen McCarthy on the committee uh, who made the, the suggestion and then enabled for the mentees that community space uh, which we call the virtual tea rooms, which they have really, I think, participated in and enjoyed. Um, so I think there's, so business as usual in terms of the programme, um, but I would say in times of COVID and with, and again, this is, you know, socially uh, for all of us in a time of anxiety, um, where there is conscious and unconscious um, anxiety for all of us every day as we experience what we're experiencing, I would say there's probably a, a very valuable um, benefit in that capacity to have a structured, firstly, thinking pair uh, partnership. And that's for the mentor and the mentee. It's paying attention to something that with hope is positive, is useful and is generative, that ideas and suggestions um, enable people to make progress and again, the group elements, we're, we're building them in, we're weaving them in virtually. We have had to think about them differently. Um, but actually, I think what has emerged has been, um, you know, really um, important uh, learning, I think, at the bar in terms of the benefit of the collegiality over this period. And Sarah, you mentioned at the beginning, the hope is to be redundant. But before you're redundant, <laughs> I know you have much to achieve. So I'm just wondering, in the next maybe two to three years, where do you see the, the mentoring program growing? What what would be what would be your wish list for the next two or three years? I have a number of items on the wish list, Cormac. Firstly, I would like to see the program 
grow in terms of the numbers it accommodates year on year. So the programme back in 2016 had 22 individuals, so that in other words was 11 pairs, whereas this year we have 21 pairs. Now one of those has gone by the wayside, but we started off with 21 pairs. And in other years it had up to 25 pairs. On the flip side, we had 49 applicant mentees this year, so it would have been lovely to be able to accommodate all of those mentees. And that would mean, obviously, 96 or 98 pairs. So that's where, on one level, I would like to see the programme growing so that we would have more relation, more mentoring relationships every year. That obviously is dependent upon time and resources, and I won't say any more about that at the moment. So that's one that's one of my wish list items. My other wish list item, and this is something that the committee has discussed, is to take the learnings that we have and develop them or, or allow a research a researcher develop them into, uh, I suppose, uh, an analysis, a quantitative and a qualitative analysis of the mentoring programme so that then we can use that and learn from it and build and, and progress even more. But again, that research um, it takes time and 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 budget, Cormac. Uh, but they're my two. They would be my two main wish list items. And Hannah, out of interest, how do lawyers differ from other professional groups in terms of how they how they need mentoring or how they wish for mentoring, but also how they deliver that mentoring piece? That mentoring experience. I think, if I may, on two levels. I think, firstly, in terms of. Um, how do lawyers differ as, again, a, a professional body or in terms of, again, benefiting the education and the progression of, um, as I said, you know, talent or enabling people to think through transition and progression and, and different um, situational uh, you know, challenges. They don't differ. That's the first thing. Um, in Across business, across professional lives, um, there is no different. There is no difference. There's a. There's an. I think. I believe, having worked um, in this area for, I think there's a huge need actually um, to create that kind of thinking space and thinking partnership in a world and a professional business world that's increasingly pressured and increasingly busy. Um, because I think there is there the passing on of wisdom and learning is almost incumbent upon senior professionals to, to benefit juniors. So there is no difference there. How lawyers think um, and how lawyers mentor is probably an area of difference. And that is lawyers are professionally um, and, and every day they think in an analytical advisory way. So, and often they are spotting out risk, spotting out problems, spotting out challenges. Uh, and that is what they are paid to do. They are also, as, as barristers, you, you, know, you are paid to be an advocate and to be potentially adversarial. Um, and so thinking in an adversarial way um, can, can sometimes uh, inhibit um, because it's, you know, it's, a, it, it's where people go first. And I'm not saying that mentors are adversary, but they might think in either a, what we call a transactional or analytical way and come to a solution and then make a direction. Uh, and that's the big shift for mentoring. It is actually to create the space and, again, really listen and we, we build this into the training. And sometimes for lawyers, it be, can be counterintuitive. 
but I've also heard medics and doctors because they are also uh, paid to analyze and diagnose. And a number of doctors will have said to me post training, you know, we're trained to listen, but in actual fact, we go straight to the solution or straight to the diagnosis. That's the big shift, Cormac. It's to try and understand that in the mentoring context, it's not immediately about the solution or the diagnosis or the analysis. It's about creating space to think and to generate possibility. So rather than being directive or advisory, just to bring that thinking attention and pay attention in a way that allows thinking to generate and look at possibilities, bit of the differences. That's not surprising considering practitioners go through training for years and years to think in a certain way. And then there's, they're asked now in this far more informed work setting to use the other side of their brain to solve problems. Exactly. That was fantastic. I, I don't have any other uh, any other questions on my side. If, you, if there's anything about the programme that you think that you'd you'd like to kind of place a focus on, speak now. I suppose, Cormac, one thing that does occur to me, um, I'm never short of the word or the contribution, is I think the, the programme has a fantastic capability of in, helping collegiality at the bar in general. So it's not just the participants who will benefit because once once you've benefited from the programme once, you go on, you might have a different approach in terms of colleagues who are seeking your assistance outside of the programme. And the community of mentor-mentee graduates will grow and grow. And that can only, I think, help and benefit collegiality and assistance and support that are there for other members mm. so I, I think the program as I say has has benefited more than just the the, the, the specific pairings as it grows and and, and and as the bar and as it develops within the bar mm. and if if I may if I could just again honor actually the, the source and the origination of the program um when when the program started I mean Sarah has referenced there budget and investment and sponsorship. Uh, when when this programme started, it, its source had absolutely no budget or uh, it, but it had, you know, in enthusiasm, innovation um, and a, a determination to create. And I, I may, if I may, honour um, Judge Mary Rose Gerty, who again was very involved at the outset, in fact, I think was the originator. Um, and at that stage, uh, it was in, in complement with the Law Society and then, you know, paths um, demerged, shall we say, and, and each each um, organisation took up its own uh, mentoring programme, both now have. Um, and I think that actually if I had, your question was, you know, how could it sustain and develop Cormac, I think I would say that if we could, if there was potential to invest in actually, as Sarah has said, evidencing, um, really gathering the learnings and evidencing both qualitatively and quantitatively. It, it isn't about necessarily um, female exclusivity, as I said earlier. It's about generating the possibility within the organisation and learning and being informed by you know, what has worked will inform thinking, will inform policy, will inform, again, standards of excellence. And that is for male and female, uh, it's not gender 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 specific. In fact, it's, it's gender neutral, and uh, both both um, as I say, men and women can be fantastic mentors. And I think 
the, the benefit of the, the thinking and the thinking partnerships could really be very yeah useful for the bar. And I suppose the challenge for any, any social scientist would be to draw that line between mentoring and public good or a wider kind of community community benefit. Um, so that's a call out to any PhD student uh, yes. thinking of this area. Uh, communications at lawlibrary.ie. Um, <laughs> thank you both very much for that. Uh, I think that was useful. I think a lot of people know about law and women mentoring. To some, it's a black box. And I hope that this 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 exchange was a useful, I suppose, introduction to what the program is and an invitation to those both mentees and mentors um, to, to discover further and if they're interested to come on board. Fantastic. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, Cormac. For those of you looking for more information on the program, drop a line to communications at lawlibrary.ie or visit the members area. For the moment, stay safe and stay well.